Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, today on Just a Sip, I'm actually going to do something a little special that may be a little bit of, I mean, there's going to be some tears, I think. I, you know, often ask people to come on this show and be real and be raw and be honest with me. And someone in production thought it would be a great idea if I turned the camera around on myself and get real and get raw and get honest with you guys. And, you know, I just want to preface this podcast with I know my life is often funny and I know the things that I put on social media normally garner a laugh. And Nina Parker's coming in today to do this podcast. So I don't know if it's going to be funny. I know there's going to be a lot discussed and I hope that you guys get a vision for who I really am as a person and this is who I am and this this is where the questions the comments the moments come from behind just a sip and here we go Welcome to this week's Just the Sip. I am Justin Sylvester, and I'm going to take my own sip today. And here to help me do that is Nina Parker. Yay! I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you know you you're one here. of my favorite people. You know you're one of my, the scariest people I know. What? Yes, bitch, because you don't care. And you will let a bitch know when you're not getting what you want. Well, I don't think I'm scary. I just think I'm honest, and I think that's rare in this business. Which is why I have you here honest. today. You've been through so much. It's, it's funny because I say I feel like I know you. You're the person I feel like I know very well, but still there's like a mystery about your life that I feel like I don't know. I think I'm private, but I feel like if you ask me, I'm an open book. Yeah, I don't think you're guarded. I just think there's so there's a lot more layers to you than I think yeah. meets the eye. I do want to talk to you about how you navigate because you. I don't think I've ever really seen you angry. Like I've seen you a little upset. I've seen you frustrated. I've never heard you raise your voice other than when you're happy. Yeah, you know, it's crazy because when you go through a lot in life and I was an angry teenager. Were you? I was. I didn't understand who I was. I felt misunderstood mm -hmm. um, and I felt alone at times because I was gay and black growing up in South Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times... I would lash out at people that I loved because I didn't know why. And once I became a man and became an adult, I really had to put those things into perspective. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, I used to think everything was about me when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Once I got to know myself, it really alleviated that, you know, 
when you have to hide a part of who you are, especially such a big part of who you are, you start to not only be angry with the world, but you start to be angry with yourself. Mm -hmm. When you say hide, do you know like 100% that's you're gay or do you just feel like different? When I was five, I knew I was different. You, okay. And there was another gay person in my hometown. I grew up in a really small town in Louisiana. What was the name? Brobridge. And it's, it was very segregated. There mm -hmm. was a train track that had a white side and wow. had a black side. And it was almost segregated to where, like, when I went to, like, a predominantly white school, like, my friend's parents would drop me off at the track because they didn't want to cross it. Wow. Um, but I will never forget this. And my sister reminded me of this story and she wanted to tell me this story, but I was like, I remember it. And it was when this guy who was openly gay in our town got jumped by a bunch of high school kids. Mm -hmm. I was probably in the fifth or sixth grade at this point. And my sister was across the street watching it all go down. She was only five years older than me. And I remember the look that she gave me that day and it was a look that I never want that to happen to you. Mm. And you have to not be this person mm -hmm. because I can't help you. Mm -hmm. She said that to me in a, in, a, in a look. Yes. And we're on Alva Drive. I remember the street. And we never talked about it after that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was 32. Three weeks ago, we talked about, you know, some things and how happy I was in my life that I could be myself and, you know, live my truth and she recollected that story to me and she didn't know that I knew that's what she was, it was feeling at the time. It was as significant to her as it was to you. Yes. And, but you guys never talked about it until this point. We never talked about it until this point. That's wild. My sister and I had never spoken about my sexuality until I was 21 years old and I was living here and I could have an open conversation with her about it. She knew. Mm-hmm since I was in like five years old, but she never had that conversation with me because she was still uncomfortable with the mm -hmm. idea because of what we witnessed at the hands of this one guy. Did you ever fight in oh, school? Oh, I had to fight, but I had a friend. Um, but You had a friend? I had a friend who would fight for me. Her name was Chastity Maven. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chastity Maven, for everything. She was, she was she fearless. She didn't play by her She didn't f***ing play, man. And I survived. I survived because those women, those girls who are not women, would surround me and oh. not let them come after oh me. God. And they all, I mean, they all knew, like Chastity Maven and I grew up together since we were kids and she would fight every mm -hmm. month after me. Yeah. And I, you know, I think once I came to LA at 21 and I got a chance to see what open gay men live like and how happy and, and fulfilled they are, my happiness and the rage that I had flipped. Mm. And it was that moment of truth for me. I was like, I have one more year left of school. I have to come back here. This is where I need to be to, in order to live my life. So you didn't come out until you moved to L.A.? I didn't come out until I moved to L.A. And I didn't come out until my, to my mother until I was well into L.A. And I was living here. And I had my own life. Okay. 25. Okay. So to around 25. Yes. Okay. And I had no choice. Because at the time, I, I was actually 23. I was working for Kyle Richards. Mm -hmm. And I had was out to certain people in my life, and this woman on the show hosted a gays and gals party for Royal Housewives of Beverly mm -hmm. Hills. It was my first year working here. And she invited me to it, and she said, hey, this is the party. I know you're not completely out yet, so you can decide whether you want to come to this or not. I would love for you to come with me. And if you decide that you do want to come out, I will hold your hand and support you through this whole process. 
Knowing it was going to be filmed? Knowing that it was going to be filmed and it was going to air to 4 million people. How did your mom receive it when you, when you, did you call her or you saw her in person? I called her and I called her because it was coming. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been home yet. I knew I wasn't going to go home for a while. I had a friend who told me the way you approach coming out is the w- reaction you're going to receive. Mm. So don't sit down with somebody and say, I have something to tell you. I have this life altering situation to tell you. Get ready for doomsday. Let me see the bomb. Right. It was a conversation. It had happened organically. She asked me if I was seeing anybody. And I said, no, I'm not seeing anyone. And she was like, well, how's work? And I was, you know, told her about the show and how I'm like the only black gay guy on the show. I might get some exposure. And she was like, what was that? And I repeated it again. And she was like, oh, that sounds nice. And as you know, black families can yeah. sometimes sweep things under the rug. Yeah. And I'm not the type to push anybody to accept me or to go that far because I know that it took me 21 years to get comfortable with right. who I was and that person lived inside of me. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine how long it would take her to get right. comfortable with it. But she was great. She didn't make me feel some type of way. She never made it a big deal. And I also think my mother knew exactly who I was mm-hmm. from the time I was she born. Knew. She knew. Yeah. I had other friends who were gay as well, mm-hmm. who were closeted, and family members. And I always felt once I came out that I it was going to be fine for them. So that was also motivation for me. Yeah. Because I got a chance to move away and live my life. Yeah. But they didn't. Right. So when I had the chance to bring a friend to a dinner or a barbecue and just say he was my boyfriend, I did it to let them know that it's fine. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I get to pack up my bags and go back to mm-hmm. my, my cush living in Los Angeles. But they don't have that. Yeah. You have this like really good ability to like sense what people need. Uh, like if somebody is in distress, if somebody is stressed out, if, if even if they're lashing out at you, like even if you're getting the brunt of their stress, you have the ability to kind of see past that anger or frustration and know what that person needs and give it to them. Yeah. Where does that come from? So my whole town, basically all the parents in my town worked at this one mill it was called Martin Mills. This is so, it sounds like you grew up in the 50s. It's so crazy. No, it is. No, it's, like, it's crazy. Like, I'm like, oh, you, you literally lived on the other side of the track. Yes. Like, this, you're not old. No, I'm not old. It's but insane that there are towns like this. this I know is, it exists, but it's insane to hear it from no, it, someone. But you grew up in Oakland. So you didn't have, like, the small town Louisiana. Like, it was a white side, a black side. There That's was a so black crazy. elementary school. There was a white elementary school that kids went to. It was like a thing. And by the way, the schools I went to were like dangerous motherfucking mine. <laughs> like it was scary. It was scary. Yeah. I, I ran home every day for my life. Um, my mom worked at a meal, Comrad Mill. They made Fruit Loom underwear. And she made a very decent living at the time. Um, and she w- was raising two kids by herself. And when my sister went to college and I entered sixth grade, my mom lost her job. And she got laid off because the mill closed and was jobless for a while. And my mom was one of those women, no disrespect to people who are on welfare, that just wasn't her thing. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to rely on that. And I have a lot of respect for that. But when you're the only person in a house where someone is going through something, they kind of take it out on you. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't understand it. I tried my hardest to understand it, but no one sat me down to explain transferring your feelings onto other people. Right. 
Um, we don't have them kind of conversations in black households. We don't have those kind of conversations. I don't know how to transfer my feelings. It was a situation. I'll go in that room. Right? And it was, everything was like, it was very on edge because for the first time in her life, she didn't know what was going to happen. And she had two kids and she hid everything. It was fear. She was was scared. So obviously if I had a dad in the house, it would have been them two, you know, rumbling. But instead it was the two of us. And you know, I had to really figure out at that moment, like, how can I make this easy? How can I make this hard? At this or, young age, you're in sixth grade. Yeah, but I wasn't wrapping my head around anything. Like, my mother sat me down when I was in seventh grade and said, I needed to get a job. Mm. Like, you need to figure out this job situation. And I knew somebody who made fake IDs. So I got a fake ID to say I was one year how older. How do you know someone who makes fake IDs Girl, in the ghetto. Grade. We know people who can make anything, okay? <laughs> I got people doing some real fraud up in Louisiana, okay? I'm like, if y'all could just put y'all talents to doing some legal right, shit, y'all right. would be possible. There are some really creative people in the hood. There's some motherfucking creative Geniuses. people. Geniuses. And nobody knows they exist. No. No. Oh, my gosh. So you get a fake ID in the seventh grade to work. To work, to get a job permit. Most people who are getting fake IDs are doing it for so they can drink or they can party. You got it for a responsibility. I mean, I worked and went to school double from... 14 until I graduated college. That's crazy. And I went to school at 7.30 in the morning, got off at 2.45, went to work at 4, got off at 11, did my homework, and did that over and over again for years. And you were helping support your mom through this? She was just like, you know, I need your help with this bill, that bill, which I didn't mind at the time. And then, you know, at 16, I kind of moved out. Really? My mom got had another baby. Oh, when you were 16, she got pregnant? She got pregnant when I was 16. Uh-oh. And... I was so upset about it. I love my little sister now, but I was so upset about it all. And I kind of sort of kind of found another family. It was Mm. weird. I found another household, you know, to kind of join. It was like a strange thing. Yeah. So I was kind of on my own after 16 years old. Really? Yeah. So when you were applying to colleges, everything you just kind of did on your own? I did on my own. My mom actually thought I was going to college in the town that I grew up in because there was a, a college. So in seventh grade, the school switched. Okay. And my mother always said she was really nervous for me to go to this junior high school in the town that I was from. So we found this other school. It was a, you know, 30 minute bus drive, 20 minute bus drive every morning. But in order for me to afford the school, I had to work 120 hours during the summer. Mm. So when every kid was like running around, doing the most, going on vacations, I was scraping gum off the desk at my school. In the, so they made you work for your They made tuition. me work for partial of my tuition being paid. It's a lot of responsibility for such a young kid. It's a lot of responsibility. But the funny part about it is, Nina, the craziest thing was it was fight or flight for me mm-hmm. in the sense that I had my first mental breakdown at 22 when I graduated college and I didn't no longer had to go to work and go to school anymore. It was like the first time I could actually sit and think about what I had done for the past seven years. Right. Because it didn't hit me at that time. Right. They had no choice. Because you're in a town where people are working at a mill and you're working since you were in seventh grade. So that's just all you know. That's just all I know. And from my from others' perspective, like and from the people, the generation before me, if you didn't shoot a basketball, if you didn't throw a football, you know, Mm -hmm. you didn't go to college. Yeah. And I didn't have time to play sports. I played sports for the beginning of my my school year, 
my, you know, childhood, right. eighth and ninth grade. But once I got into that job and taken off to do this game and that game didn't really work. Yeah. And I was used to making money and supporting myself. And it was just a hard thing to do. That is so, that's so insane. I didn't know you even, into this happened. It's crazy. I worked at, by the way, I had the same jobs. I worked at this place called Cafe Des Amis from 14 until I was 16. That's where I met Ali Landry. That's how I got to LA. And then really? I worked at a sushi restaurant from 17 till 21. And that's where I met my first lady sitting client. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Do you think like all of these jobs, because you had to interact with all these different peoples, really cultivated like your gift to communicate? You know, it's crazy because I was talking to this, talking about this to other people. There's a thing that we do in the black community mm -hmm. and in the gay community called code switching. Yep. What code switching means is you got to flip the script and adapt to people's the way they talk, the way they act, right. the way they move. Because being a black gay man in a black community, mm -hmm. you can't show that sissy side of yourself you know, to them. And when you go into the white community, when I went to school, you couldn't show that hood yeah. side to right. them because it would make them feel some type of way. So consistently having to code switch was the way mm -hmm. that I learned how to communicate with people, especially working at a sushi restaurant right. in South Louisiana. <laughs> Ain't no black people working coming at a sushi restaurant in South Louisiana. <laughs> You've had the most interesting experiences. And, you know, you talk about code switching because it's, it's like common, like we like it's we don't call it code switching in the black community, we call it life. but it's yeah, it's 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 when we talk about privilege sometimes and, you know, like sometimes when I when we're on Daily Pop and we talk about privilege and that's why I get so angry is because I don't think people quite understand that what you have to acclimate to as a black person in America, like the different levels of like, like you realize that since you were a kid, you've been bred to assimilate, to make other people comfortable. 100%. Not, and they can live their whole life without having to work to make you comfortable. Look, if, never forget this. I went to an all white school in seventh grade and my first slumber party at my best friend's house in seventh grade, his mom asked me, um, hey, do you mind staying in the car until the garage door closes? Um, my mother and father are across the street and they aren't, um, they're old school. And I knew what that meant. They, she didn't want them to know that there was a black kid staying at their house. Oh my gosh. And you know, it didn't, it didn't hurt me at all. And it still doesn't hurt it me didn't? today. It didn't because I knew that racism at the time was something that someone learned. Mm -hmm. I had you were that thoughtful I was that thoughtful but I also was very privy to it because inner race racism could be can be hard as well yes but going to an all-white school I figured it out really quickly mm -hmm. and I had a double-edged sword I was black and I was gay right so it was like hell yeah. you know but I was really lucky to meet people who didn't care and whose family members and friends said, I can't believe you have that little N-word in your house. Mm -hmm. And they said, we'll get used to it because we love him. Mm -hmm. And 
to grow up to see that and to watch people go against something that they learned that whole time gave me it made me see people for who they were yeah like i don't care about the scandal i don't care if you're this or that someone saw me for who i was mm -hmm. and it made me really <laughs> i told you i was gonna get you to cry <laughs> I'll never forget that. It's rare. It's very rare. That's how much you touch people because there are a lot of people who have that story where the person tells them to leave or get out or you don't belong here or I can't stand up to my family for you. Yeah. And I think it speaks volumes about who you are that you had people willing to stand up for you. You yeah. know, God gave you these allies. Um, and I think that's a true blessing because not everybody gets that. And I think it can make a lot of people really cold yeah. Um, and it can also make people hate everyone. Yeah. You know, the people who don't accept them, the people who don't protect them. Um, so I, I think it really helped cultivate who you are. There's been t there. I know that people give you a hard time in general because they see you with the housewives. They see you living this lifestyle, but you're also from Louisiana. People kind of, people kind of want to understand that people want to get one definition from somebody. They pe want people to be one note. Yeah. You're a black man from Louisiana. Okay, you're gay, but why are you hanging out with all these rich white people? Yeah. I know you get that a lot. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. And I think, you know, what happens, I got it a lot when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to school with a lot of white kids because I went to the Catholic school across town because my mother was scared to send me to the junior high. And I just got so used to it. And I didn't really care. And again, I don't really see color when I see friends. Like, you came to brunch with me the other day. Yeah. There is... a half black and yeah. Asian guy. There's a Filipino guy yeah. sitting there. There's a white couple. Dan Hyman's there yeah. who's from Saudi Arabia. Like yeah. I just put myself around people that I care about it and I people I love because when I was growing up, there were people that didn't see color to mm -hmm. me. And now I don't want to ever see color and I don't want to have to put more black people on my Instagram because people don't think I hang out with black people enough. I hang out with black people. But you know, listen, like there's a thing in the black community where there's somebody who's black and it's like black, black. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, you black, but are you black, black? Like, do 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 you really get what it's like to be black or are you kind of black, but you don't really f with black people? There are people who choose to to consciously separate themselves from the black community because they don't want to be associated with it. Yeah. But that's not you. No, no. I think if someone went on your Instagram, they might get that image because it's it's fun and it's glamorous and you on yachts and you know you in Italy. And, yeah. But like what one of the first things people asked me when I started at E was like, is he black or is he like black black? <laughs> and I was like I'm real a real one. I'm yeah, a real one. You really are. You know what's funny is when I moved here when I was twenty two you know, the f first person I ever lived with was Allie Landry. Like, she kind of held my hand through this whole L.A. thing mm -hmm. and introduced me to Kyle. And once I started working for Kyle, we got to a point after the first season where she became family to me. Yeah. Like, I spent Christmases there. I've been there for holidays. Right. If I need somewhere to stay, if I'm... She got you. She got me. Mm -hmm. She always got me. And... Did you guys hit it off from the beginning? We hit it off in the beginning, but we had been through so much together by the first three years of, and you'd watch, you could watch it all happen on the show. We had been together for everything. Right. You know, her first day on the show was my first day working there. So we really started the process together. And when you go through something that intense, you automatically become family. Right. And 
unfortunately, there's a lot of white women in her house. <laughs> she has four daughters. She's got three sisters who each have four daughters of She does have a daughter named Portia. She though. has a daughter named Portia. <laughs> and her husband's half Mexican. So, you know, it was that's just the world that I got thrown into. Right. And it doesn't negate, though. I think sometimes people think when they see you operating in spaces that aren't black. Yes. You know, me and you aren't working at BET. So it it's like if you are not in a black space, sometimes people think that you have forgotten 100%. who you are, where you are, where you come from. 1,000. And you've learned how to kind of navigate and still stay you no matter like what space you're in. No, because, I mean, listen, I fought so hard to become the person that I am. Mm -hmm. I fought so hard to be accepted for who I am on the inside that I'm not going to let someone determine how black or white I need to be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I grew up around... That's what I grew up around. You're like, look, didn't nobody grow up blacker than me? No, I'm like, I grew up. If I took you to my neighborhood and I'm going to take this camera crew I really one day. I want to. It's like, it's, you know, it's black. It's hood. There was a project. It was a real project. Pecanville Projects was a real thing. There was a corner. My mother told me always avoid. Right. Four corners right next to Mildred's store in Brobridge. Mm -hmm. Like those, we grew up hard. We yeah. grew up tough. And yeah. I think sometimes that's why I can't take no for an answer. And yeah. you're not going to tell me my limits because if I could survive right those moments if i can run my ass home through a, the, the woods and i get my ass kicked i can make it in this town too but i also think when you really live a life like that you and you like really had it rough and you really grew up like that you don't feel the need to prove who you are to people because mm. you know it's i feel like it's always the people who are like hood adjacent that are always like trying to tell you how hood yes. they are and have to prove it and yes. have to prove it and like i also grew up where people told me i you know you act white you know, I was in a book club when I was in elementary school and always got like, you act white. Why do you act white? And and, and acting white were the things that I enjoyed. It wasn't I was still yeah. I still was in a the neighborhood I was in, had the parents I had. It just was like these are the things I like. Well, you're lucky that you got that because, you know, when you're in elementary school and junior high school and people say you act like a punk, you act like a sissy, right. you must be a f you must like dick. Like that was what I put up with. For the longest time. So at this point, if I got, you know, there's 75 kids in my class and they all calling me gay and this and that. Mm -hmm. If I had to deal with that, by the time I got to 21, you could say whatever you right. want about You've me. Heard it. I've heard it all. You're like, come with something more original. I've dealt with I've it. I've heard that. I've dealt with yeah. it. But and it makes you quick because, and it's it's like the, the movie Slumdog Millionaire. I feel like your life is kind of like all these bad things built you up to, to create the person you are now where you had these pitfalls and you're wondering why God's doing these things to you. Then you see later you move to LA and all these things start happening, how it cultivated you to be the man that you are so quick. One of the most wittiest people that I know, like it's, it's these pitfalls that helped really create this, like really you have the thickest skin of anybody that I know. Like it's, it, you, it, you really don't get upset, like upset, upset, you no, know, you know, it's hard. I, at 18 years old, in 2005, I lost my best friend in April. I graduated high school in May. My dad died 3rd of July. I started college in August. The hurricane Katrina hit September 5th. Mm. And my grandmother, who was like a second mother to me, died in October. Oh my God. And this was all in a year. And I gained 40 pounds in college. I 
can't, I can look at photos my freshman year of college and I can't tell you where I was. It's all a blur to me, the first semester of college. And I remember telling myself on New Year's Eve, I stayed in that year because I was not feeling well. And I said, come tomorrow, you will never ever have a year like this ever in your life. And if you ever think you have a year like this, you can look back on this and say, this is nothing compared. Like I made it through this. In 2005, losing two parents, going to college, having Katrina hit, seeing hundreds of thousands of people, you know, come into a town who doesn't have healthcare, who need water, who I stayed at a, I stayed at a gymnasium at LSU for four days straight, letting people use my cell phone to try to get in touch with their loved ones That's insane. during Katrina to hear people try and try and try and not get through to find out if their kids were alive mm -hmm. or if their their grandparents had made it out for days on end right. that to me was like holy f so you don't give a f about a troll trying to troll you on Twitter yeah. you're like I've been through some real I'm like if you're gonna troll me on Twitter <laughs> and call me thunder hashtag daily pop I need the ratings <laughs> I need the fucking ratings <laughs> Like I've been through some yes. shit. Like, I have been through something. And it's so funny because I, I'm going to get 2005 tattooed on my arm. You should. When my friends have issues or I have my best friend who's going through a lot right now, I always say you're having my 2005. I had a really bad week, uh, like two weeks ago. I had a really bad day and I was, I had a little bit of a breakdown and um, you just showed up. You just like showed up for me and I'll never forget it because I feel like, you know, right now, especially with our careers, as much as we're working, yeah. um, people just assume you're okay. If you're successful, they equate it with like you, you being good. okay. Yeah. And I, I, you could tell I wasn't and you invited me to brunch and you check on me and we can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this. <laughs> But like, you know, when you get, when people think you're strong, they don't check on you. But it's always the strongest bitches who need help sometimes because you carry so much. You carry so much of other people that it's almost like, again, my mother, again, carrying two kids on her back. And sometimes you just need that help. You need that boost. Yeah, but you see it. You see what other people don't see or care to see. Because and it just makes you... I know why them girls fought people for you. Damn, you know, we can't be doing this. <laughs> we cannot be doing this. Because I'll fight anybody for you because you have one of the biggest hearts of anybody I've ever met. Oh, I need to get a Lifetime Achievement Award so you can say that. I can't believe you're doing this. I got a whole snooze lady. You got me messing up my meat. <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> Thank you for that. I but really appreciate that. The funny part about it was when I was a kid, I used to say, I can't wait to have kids to show them like the love that someone else showed me. Like, I can't wait to do mm -hmm. that. And it's funny because I thought I was going to be a young mom. I thought I was going to be that hot bitch at the PTA <laughs> at 26, <laughs> yes. driving an Escalade <laughs> with her husband, who's an attorney. And that didn't work out for me. And I felt like I was missing something. And I was missing someone to give that love to and to care about and to like make sure that they're all right. So for me, I know you don't always need me and a lot of people don't always need me, but when they do, I always want to be there for you because I know I'm going to need you at some point. Mm -hmm. Do you still want kids? Do you still want like, do you want a big family? You know, I want it all, but 
I know that people are, you know, people don't want, some people don't want children. Mm -hmm. So I have this thing in my mind. I would love two children, two daughters, Sierra and Leon from Africa. <laughs> um, <laughs> one much blacker than the other one. That's how we tell them apart. Um, oh my God. But if my husband told me that he didn't want children, that wasn't in the cards for him because maybe he's too old or he's past that point. Because you like older men. I like older men. <laughs> um, you have to show me every inch of the earth. Okay. That's my, like, we have to see everything. Because mm -hmm. that's something that I never got to do as a kid. Right. But if I don't meet somebody, I'm 32 years old right now. If I don't meet somebody in four years, I'm going to start the process myself. Of having a kid? Yeah. So at oh, okay, so if you're single, yeah. you might just do it your, on your own. Yeah. Okay. But if I meet Walter Calhoun and Walter... <laughs> You're going to meet, like, first of all, you are a catch. Like, I just don't understand yeah, what's going that. on in this L.A. single life. The gay community is hot, tough, man. Instagram kind of everybody up. I don't like to say I don't understand why you're single because I feel like there are many factors that lead to that. Um, but I do feel like somebody should be smart enough to wife you up. I'm a Scorpio. I know. <laughs> so it's a bit tough mm -hmm. i'm not the easiest i'm fun i like that you admit that i'm a good time are you trying to say you crazy i'm trying to say uh you know i'm just trying to say that i'm crazy adjacent okay in the sense where Same. i just want honesty yeah i want somebody who's honest i want somebody who is going to step up and level up to the plate like, I can't do this. I can't do a game. Right. And that's my downfall. You don't, have the, you don't have the tolerance for that. I don't have a tolerance for a game. And even when, like, the game is simple, like, tic-tac-toe, bitch. Like, if I ain't going to do tic-tac-toe, my black ass ain't about to do Minecraft. Right. Like, right. it's not happening. Yeah, you're just like, not in the game. I'm not it. in a game. And I'm old school. Like, is that why you like older men, you think? Because they're past the, the game playing stage and they're a little bit more ready to settle down? But those are the motherfuckers. Or who who are in the game? The, they play the most games. Those bitches are deep into VR, like they're in virtual reality. That's how deep they are in the game, because this is what happens. There's a prime spot to catch a man, mm -hmm. especially a gay man. Okay. So like, if you meet a gay man in the twin in their twenties, that's why there's a lot of twenty-something-year-old couples that mm -hmm. like get to know each other, right. and like they kind of you know they stay together, they move in. But catch a man in his thirties when he starts making some coin and his looks come in, you can't tame those motherfuckers. It's harder. It's harder. You have to catch them right at the end of their 30s, but right before they get the Peter Pan syndrome in their 40s. Oh. Because once you hit the Peter Pan syndrome and they all think they still hot <laughs> and they're making more money. This is complicated. It's complicated. It's hard for me. Like, I try to get one who's like, kind of like the knees hurting and like right. the back is out. So, like, I'm like, yes, I'm like, what's her name in misery? I'm like, let me roll your ass <laughs> around. Bates. I'm Kathy Bates in misery. <laughs> But it's hard. I think it's hard because also, I'm actually not that crazy. I just think Instagram and social media mm -hmm. and online dating have let people know that the next best thing is around the corner. Right, right. And yeah, you might not be able to get the hot guy in the porno, but you can get Jace from Idaho who is in a shirtless photo every other week and you can fly him out for 325 because he ain't got to take a business class and he's much less you know, expensive than mm -hmm. this guy right here. And Sometimes when people aren't ready to be the man that they're supposed to be, mm -hmm. they're going to go for less. Yeah. And you know what? That is fine with me. Absolutely. Because if you're not ready to come on my level emotionally and spiritually, then you don't need to be with me. And for me, look, I'm not going to lie. 
being single is kind of freeing for me right now. Mm -hmm. And I think if I would have stayed in my last relationship or the relationship before that, because I've only had two real real relationships. Mm -hmm. One that lasted four years when I was in college and the year out, and one that was two years ago. Both great guys and amazing partners. But had I stayed in that relationship, I wouldn't be living the life that I'm living now. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to see some great I've gotten to meet some awesome people. Yeah, I've really gotten a chance. And it's through my other friends that I've gotten to live. You gotta live your life. And I again, 2005, no one is promised tomorrow. Yeah. And I've said this to my friends who rush to get married so early. I'm like, you guys, we have so much more yeah. life to live. We got so many more men to sniff. Like, we got some yeah. to do. Like, I think that might be the title of your new memoir. We got so many men, men to sniff. sniff. You got so many men to sniff. <laughs> like, I just feel like, and by the way, when I say that, I'm not having sex with a lot of people. I mean, full disclosure, I've been single for quite some time before my last boyfriend. And from 26 until I got, you know, I got a wife up at 29, 30, 31, actually. Mm -hmm. I had the same bench for a long time. Yeah. I had like the same. You like to recycle a little? I had the same three people that I hooked up with for years. It was mm -hmm. three people. Mm -hmm. And they always rotated. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a vacation one off or two here and there. I mean, <laughs> there was sure. a Javier in Spain. <laughs> there was a Barco in Stockholm. <laughs> like, I had moments. Like, you know, there was a prince somewhere in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I thought I was going to get stuck there. Um <laughs> life you lead you you really do need a camera following you no. all the time it's insane showtime would have to pick that show up <laughs> but it was always about the experience for me and i feel like sometimes like when you give somebody sex too early yeah you're a big advocate of holding it i'm a big advocate for holding it if you want something if, if you, you want, want something out of it and also if you walk through my door and you come to this you know like we've been going for weeks at a time and it's time for us to get it on a, you're not going to want to have it, make it a one and done, right. but I want consistency. I yeah. want intimacy yeah. with somebody, and I just think that people aren't ready for the blessing. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's okay. I, I, I know when you, when you do decide to settle down, it's going to be so magical. Where do you see your career going? Like, what do you, what's your ultimate goal? Because you, you really are good at creating. So where, where do you want to get out of news eventually? Do you want to get into scripted? Do you want your own show? For me in five years, I want to be doing this. And I feel like with Just the Sip is, it's a place where people can tell their full story. Yeah. It's a place where people can feel comfortable and feel like they can be themselves. And reflecting on it for the first time today, I feel like that was cultivated in the house that I grew up in after I was 15 years old mm -hmm. with that white family who said it's okay to be you mm -hmm. and who encouraged me to live my truth. And I feel like that's what I want to be doing. I want to encourage people to live their truth without being judged. Yeah. When I watch you, you get stuff from people like I would never imagine that they would tell and they're so comfortable telling it. And you know, you can just see that it's like, it's not even a struggle that, that you just get it naturally. Yeah. But I'm honestly, when I, when people sit down here and we have that first initial conversation, I always say, I'm going to ask you questions that I'm not afraid to answer. So if you, right. I'm going to ask you to tell me your favorite drive-by, I'm going to tell you how right. I was crazy on that Delta flight that one time to New York <laughs> to catch Terry cheating on me with Doug. Like, I'm going to tell you everything. I'm an open book. Yeah. And I think if you come with, I have an open heart and an open mind, people will do the same thing. I love you, friend. I love you, too. Thank you for f***ing up my makeup. Yeah, I mean, listen, we both a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Looking like death becomes her. Look at Bill over there crying his ass off. <laughs> Vanessa. Yes. I f*** 
can hate you. <laughs> First of all, I want to say thank you for that. It was really good, and I'm so glad you opened up the way you did, and I learned a lot about you. I think most people that I've told that we were going to do this all had the same answer. I don't know that much about Justin's story, and everyone was truly curious. So that was calculated. I, I appreciate that you did it. In the words of Kim Richards, you beast. <laughs> you and I cried, and we all cried, and it was it was fantastic. I'm so mad about doing this, because I like to keep my private life private because of this reason, because we always cry. Yeah. And the funny part about it is we only had 40, 30-something minutes to tell this story, mm-hmm. and I don't think I even scratched the surface. I'm sure you didn't. Um, but I'm so happy that you guys liked it. And to see this video of this podcast, an interview with Nina Parker, you need to head over to the E! News YouTube channel and click on Just a Sip, and you can see the tears for yourself. They weren't fake. I kind of wish they were. And don't forget to follow me at The Lady Sitter. 